Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. So today we're chatting with Les Alfred, who is the host of the Balanced Black Girl podcast, a lifestyle brand dedicated to promoting diversity in the wellness space. She started her first blog, The Balance Berry, in 2014 to share her love of fitness and nutrition with others. But after years of feeling dissatisfied with the lack of diversity and wellness content shared on large platforms, she pivoted to create Balanced Black Girl podcast in 2018. She provides content and experiences empowering women of color to live their half healthiest, happiest lives. And the show aims to reimagine wellness and self-care to make them feel real and approachable for all. In this episode, we get into Les's upbringing and the career experiences that led her to where she is now hosting a top rated podcast and speaking on panels and events around LA, including the event that we just co-hosted with Candace of beauty bar chocolate all around deep sleep, evening rituals, and how we can slow down to show up for ourselves. Yeah. In this episode, we also talk about Les's upbringing and how her early experiences as a perfectionist and overachiever really impacted her and how she's evolved through those tendencies over the years. Her experience working in the fitness industry as a personal trainer, how she transitioned out of it, and what taking a break from working out taught her about her body and diet culture. We get into how she got the idea for the Balanced Black Girl podcast and how exactly she gives a platform and a voice for women of color to speak their truth and empower others to lead healthier lives. Uh, We talk a little bit about the comparison trap, her techniques for working through that those feelings of comparison and what inclusivity in the wellness space should look like and how we can all be more mindful in this area. Yeah. And don't forget about her dream moment of meeting Michelle Obama. Yes. That was something she manifested that came true and we are beyond jealous. So we talked a little bit about that, but what I really loved about this conversation is that Les is really honest about sort of kind of like pulling back the veil of what it takes to do all these things that she's doing. I think it's so easy to see someone like her who has had a successful blog, had a successful podcast, kind of like creating her, her dream life and not understand that she actually had to have a lot of jobs during all of these years Mm -hmm. and side hustles and coming in and out of the corporate world. And she talks about that you know, really honestly, and I think it's so important because people can talk about having shame around, well, she talks about having shame around going from an entrepreneur back to the corporate world and, you know, kind of weaving through those different careers. And I think it's so important for people to hear that, like, there is no reason to be shameful. Right. It's survival. And sometimes our corporate jobs can be much healthier for us or more helpful for us than, struggle being a struggling entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me of how I went back to serving when I quit my job so that I could grow my business. And there was like a lot of 
like weird guilt and shame around going back to serving because I thought that that was just something I was going to do when I was younger. But like how cool that opportunity was and how flexible it was and me being able to actually do what I'm doing. I wouldn't have been able to do it without it. Yeah. And for her having like a killer corporate job, there should be no shame in like going back to that because that's making, you know, really paying the bills and is exercising a whole different part of her brain too. And just figuring out what she really enjoyed, what she was good at, like how, yeah, how she wanted to move forward, incorporating little bits and pieces of everything that she had experimented with or tried in the working world. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that she's able to have those experiences kind of take the messages of her podcast to the next level and speak to women of all different backgrounds. Yeah. And I think final thing I'll say, it's just a lot of this is the importance of really being tuned into yourself, putting your blinders on, you know, this is a theme and different conversations we've had, but putting your blinders on to what other people are doing and just knowing when you need to take a break from something, knowing when you need to step back, knowing when you need to pivot. And Les's journey is a lot of pivoting and, um, just, you know, making changes because in the end she knew it would be better for her. And now she's in this awesome place doing all the things that she loves. So, mm-hmm. We think this is a really uh, powerful episode and reminder that it is okay to make lots of change in your life. And we hope you enjoy this conversation with Les of the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Les. Thank you for having me. Of course. Ryan and I are so excited to have you here. And it's actually a really fun week to be recording with you because we're actually hosting an event, well, co-hosting an event with a good friend of ours in celebration of her new Sweet Dreams Beauty Bar Chocolate Bar. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking all about deep sleep and self-love and nightly rituals and how we can slow down to show up for each other. And you're going to be speaking on the panel that Ryan and I will be moderating. So it's kind of cool that we get to interview you first and then do the event. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I'm excited for that event. And I love Beauty Bar. So, oh, yeah, you've yeah, had it. I've oh, had it. Yeah. It's delicious. I'm, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for the sleep one, too, because mm-hmm. I need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, I don't know when the podcast will come out yet, but it is Valentine's week. So it's like the week of love and self-love. And I think we can all agree that the relationship with ourselves is the most important one. Um, so talking about that will be awesome as well. But we really want to start with your upgrade upbringing, a little bit about your background, uh, where you grew up, what you were into and all of that good stuff. I love it. You know, I, uh, recently started therapy where I've had to like answer all these questions about my childhood because I feel like I forget yeah like what is my deal I don't have a very good memory uh so it's good because all this is fresh oh yeah I, feel I don't remember too. anything <laughs> I'm with you I yeah. don't I just like don't access that information normally mm-hmm. on a daily basis but now that I am I'm like okay this is this good, is good yeah. I'm, I'm not that old <laughs> I should be able to recall yeah. um I'm a Seattle native so I was born and raised in Seattle, actually lived in Seattle my entire life until about six months ago. So very new to LA. Nice. We're from Portland. Okay. Yes. Oh, I, yes. Mm-hmm. I saw your, your Portland number. Yeah. So that Pacific yeah. Northwest, mm-hmm. Northwest living. Um, and I feel like I had just a really normal, quiet, like chill childhood. Um, my parents are amazing. I was like super quiet, super shy. I very early on started kind of airing more on the side of 
finding worth through achievement. So Mm. getting very into like getting the gold star and doing well and getting high marks and from a very early age, like really identified with that. So when I think about what I was into as a kid, it was like I was into getting the gold star, into being the best and being very hard on myself when Mm -hmm. I wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. And that's when some of that kind of conditioning started. But I was really creative. I always really loved writing. When I was like seven, I uh, decided that I was going to be a newspaper editor and I (laughs) on my old school like old school Mac that my parents had in the 90s created my own newspaper and tried to go to school and like assign story ideas to my friends but it did not work out that's really fun I wrote all the stories Um, (laughs) so it's kind of no wonder that I ended up in like communications media content Mm -hmm. because I've been doing it ever since that's funny. We were big writers too. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. that was me. Same thing. Yep. Like overachiever at like age six. Yep. And it's like, oh, yeah. no one cares about your grades, girl. No, <laughs> Calm it doesn't down. matter. Right. <laughs> would be like, we always joke about this, but I've always been just like, I can't stay up past like 10 or 11. So no matter where I was at with homework, I'm like, Good night, peace. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Don't know what my grade's gonna be tomorrow. I'd put all nighters in middle school. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. I'd walk by Rye's room. She'd be like at her little desk, like ferociously writing until like two or three in the morning. Get up to go in the bathroom in the middle of the night, and she'd still be working on homework. And it's like you're so young. This doesn't matter. But no. but I get it. That perfectionist yep. um, trait that kind of segues into the rest of life. It starts early. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense what you why you ended up doing what you are doing today. Mm-hmm. But did you, when you were younger, maybe in high school, did you have a vision for, um, maybe as you were getting a little older, what you wanted to do when you grew up or what you wanted to do for work? Yeah. I always erred towards kind of journalism, creative. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to work for magazines. By the time I was a teenager, I was obsessed with magazines. I had subscriptions. I mean, back then there were a lot of magazines, you know, you had like the teen people, teen Vogue, Mm -hmm. like in print, Cosmo Cosmo girl, Cosmo girl. Yeah. Every subscription, like that's (laughs) everything. Yes. And so, and then especially back in the day, like when the devil wears Prada came out, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's going to be my career. You know, classic 2000s girl. Yeah, yeah. 2000s girl vibes. So that was really what I thought I was going to do really up until college and, you know, did not and ended up going kind of the opposite route and going like business finance, which was polar Mm. opposite. But I always thought that I would end up in creative media communications. How did you decide to go the business route if you knew that that was not really where you're kind of love was your skill set it was timing so my sophomore year of college I originally was a communications major business minor my sophomore year of college was when the economy crashed and everything went away and I was like "Ooh, I just took out all these loans to be here magazines are shutting down newspapers are shutting down I need to pick something that's going to allow me to bring these back so I ended up switching my major and minor so I was a business major communications minor and going the finance route because I was just able to get internships and, and That's jobs. actually super smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And scrappy. <laughs> yeah. So you knew that you could get work right away. Mm-hmm. How long did you work in that field before you found health fitness and that whole world? Yeah. So the two happened in tandem. So the summer, when was this? The summer after my junior year of college, I had my first corporate internship where I started working in finance and I hated it. Oh my God, I hated it. I was so miserable. I was like sitting at a desk and I was getting really tired. Like I just felt fatigued and I was like, I'm 20 years old. 
why do I feel this way? So I thought, okay, well, maybe if I start exercising, maybe if I start maybe eating something other than like pizza and champagne, maybe I'll feel better, (laughs) which looking back on it, I'm like, whoa, I can't believe at 20, I was able to correlate like how I moved my body and how I ate to how I felt. I was just trying to stay awake at my desk. And that was purely my motivation. I didn't really care about weight, how my body looked. Any, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just like, Mm -hmm. how can I stay awake? (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I get up and exercise, I feel more awake. And so that was when I really started um, having those habits. And so the two kind of happened in tandem. Like I, I stayed at my corporate job because I really needed to, but then I started really loving fitness and I started loving how it made me feel. Other people started noticing changes in me, not necessarily physically, but like in my personality and my confidence. So then they started asking me for advice and it just oh. snowballed from there. So then is that the point at which you decided to get certified to become a personal trainer? Yeah. So it was about a year after college, a year after I graduated, I, I started um, the process and got certified. So you were getting certified while you were in this internship? Or, um, or while I had been working like after graduation. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then how long was it until you decided to take the leap from finance and yeah. go full time with fitness and wellness? Yeah. So that timing, it probably took about four years after the fact. Wow. Yeah. Building clients on the side kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Building clients on the side. That's when I started my first fitness blog and I was working at the same company that whole time. And then by the time I took the leap, I hadn't fully taken the leap, but I had uh, moved back in with my parents to save money, pay off my student loans. And I started working part time at Lululemon because my corporate job was like that boring that I literally was like running a fitness blog full time and still had time to work at Lululemon because I just like wasn't doing anything at work and was so bored. So I got this part-time job at Lululemon, loved it because working at Lululemon was really fun. That's what I've heard. I have a client who works higher up there now and she's like, it is the best company to work for. It is. And I've been, they have like vision and goals classes and they're so invested in the whole like mindset piece, which I had no idea about. Oh my gosh. They're so good about employee development. Like you Mm -hmm. have to create your vision and goals so much of their training doesn't necessarily revolve around like how can you sell more yoga pants but like how can you be a more solid human wow you work with fun people because you work with people who are drawn towards that like it was a really fun place to work and so I'd been working there part-time like on the weekends I also like mainly wanted a discount but uh (laughs) I felt yeah my managers came to me and they're like hey we have like a full-time opening here at the store would you be interested in taking it you'd get more hours you'd have health insurance and I was like living with my parents. My expenses are pretty low over my job. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to work at Lululemon and do fitness on the side. And it was really, really fun. I did that for probably about a year and a half. And I was like, okay, I need to not live with my parents anymore, but like working at Lululemon and teaching workout classes is not exactly paying the bills if they're higher than (laughs) not living with my parents. And so I ended up getting another corporate job, uh, after that. But that was like a really fun, it was a really fun season and a fun time Mm -hmm. where I was able to kind of let go of some of those perfectionist qualities that we talked about. It was like, it didn't, it was the first time it didn't matter trying to have that gold star, trying to strive for whatever. Mm -hmm. I could just do things that I really liked, 
wear workout clothes all the time. All my friends were like people I hung out with from Lululemon. And it was just such a like fun flowing time in my life. Which is really cool because I feel like with the fitness industry, it can go one of two ways and mm-hmm. go that way or it can go the obsessive way, which can yeah. be that could bring up that perfectionist side of you, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like I have to do a workout every single day for 60 minutes. I have to be like drenched in sweat. I have to get X, Y, and Z results, like counting macros, tracking calories, like that can perfectionists can thrive in that kind of environment. So it's interesting that it, you went the opposite way. Yeah. And it sounds like Lululemon had a big piece of that as well. It did for sure. And I, I think I would say I had experiences in both. So I definitely had moments in my journey where I was very obsessed with fitness, where my intentions when I first started were not at all with how my body looked or weight or whatever. But once I started working in this space, it definitely, I had moments where that definitely happened Mm -hmm. where I thought, man, I'm not as successful as I want to be because I don't look the part. Like Mm. people don't want to work with me because I don't have these abs or whatever. And I got so sick of that, that yeah. by the time it, I had gotten into that Lululemon season, I was like, I don't care. I'm moving because I like to move. I'm meeting dope people. And I'd kind of swung the other way. But that's I definitely, great. I had those moments for sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's great that you became a trainer. Mm-hmm. So then you could kind of work with your clients on not having that mindset, having yep. that healthy relationship. So yeah. I am curious how that relationship looked with your clients and, yeah. and kind of how you coached. What was your style? Yeah. Your Absolutely. Philosophy? Yeah. Ooh, I love this question. So I was very picky with what clients I took on. So I didn't have clients who were interested in kind of the obsessive, you know, framework. Um, if they were looking for someone who was going to weigh their body fat percentage every week and have like weight, weight check-ins, cause a lot of people do that. And mm-hmm. if that's what they want to do, you know, I'm not going to knock it, but I was really seeking out clients who did not have aesthetic goals, but more so people who were either interested in performance-based goals or people who were familiar with movement, but wanted new ideas. Those were really the women who I worked with because I was like, okay, we're going to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was like, if someone's really deep in that journey of really caring about the numbers, I'm probably not going to be able to convince them otherwise. Mm, And because times when I tried, I would get really frustrated. Um, but it was really, really great. I mean, I based at that time, a lot of my programming around performance and around how people felt. And I'm like, okay, you did X, Y, Z workout. You're checking in with this. How did that make you feel? How did you feel before, during, and after? So that clients could really start to connect to what they were doing with what they were feeling. Because I think in a lot of ways in fitness, when we work with trainers, when we go to classes or whatever, we're just like blindly following things. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea how we feel. We have no idea if the workout it was good, if it was bad, if we loved it, if we hated it, we're just blindly following what someone else says. And I wanted to like empower my clients to understand how they were feeling, if they liked something, if something felt good, if it didn't, why? So I was very conversational with Mm. people I worked with. Were you taking people to like a gym or did you have your own space separate? So I had done a combination of both. When I first started taking clients, I was teaching boot camp kind of CrossFit style classes and workout spaces. I then moved to another space that was like a gym specifically for personal trainers to like work their clientele out of. So people didn't really have memberships there. It wasn't like a kind of a box gym. It was Mm -hmm. like a space specifically for personal trainers. And so that was where I trained people when I was training um, in person outside of the classes I was teaching. And then for 
for most of my career, I was actually training clients online. Oh, wow. So I would create online programming, and I had clients that were all over the country. So what kind of workouts is... I know you said some kind of maybe like HIIT training. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. do, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite kind of... And has that changed from what you were teaching to now? Yeah. Oh, it's so changed. So at the time, I was loving really functional style training. So my first uh, job... When I first got certified as a personal trainer, I was teaching at a gym that did kind of CrossFit style classes, so very functional. It was a lot of TRX, a lot of kettlebell, a lot of body weight, things that were all about functional movement. So I feel like in my heart, that is what I like really love because that was where I really learned how to be a trainer. Yeah. It was the first time I felt strong, and so I just like have really positive associations with it. And so when I was training clients, that was really, that was my jam. That was my bread and butter. It was like, we're not doing tricep dips and bicep curls, we're going to do things that make you feel strong in your daily life. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of kettlebell work, a lot of really functional exercise and movement. I would say now for me personally, I'm in such a season where I'm just more into like mindfulness and being connected with my body as a whole. So these days I do a lot more yoga. I do a lot more Pilates, a lot of things that are kind of giving my body a break because I did work out at such a high intensity for like a solid decade that for the past few months, I've like really scaled it back. And it's been, it's been nice. Like I'm doing things that back in the day I used to think like, that's not a real workout. That's not enough. Um, But seeing that I can still feel really good doing those scaled back things has also been, it's been a good, like humble experience. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of injuries. I have one right now and I had one big one last year that forced me mm-hmm. to slow down and stop doing like seven workouts a week yep. and all these classes and all this stuff. And it is this new awareness of like being in touch with my body and being okay, listening to it and being like, okay, you need to walk today. Mm-hmm. You need this tomorrow. So did you feel like you were always in touch with your body when you were training or has that really just evolved to where today you are there? I think it's evolved a lot. I think you know, you kind of do the best you can with what you have. And so I think based off of the information I had at that time, based off of my mindset and where I was in my life at that time, I feel like I was in touch with my body. But what being in touch with my body means now is really different than what it meant for me five years ago. Five years ago, I really... I valued strength. I valued being super strong and lifting heavy and jumping high. And those were the things I valued. And in terms of being in touch with that, I feel like I was. These days, I could not care less. I just want to move to feel clear. I want to feel sane. I want to feel in touch with myself. And like, that's what I value. So it's, it just looks different. Yeah. Do you feel that your body has changed a lot since that mindset has changed? Because I know so many people are afraid of Mm -hmm. like slowing down. But in our, like in my personal practice and then our practice as a family business, Mm -hmm. working with women to kind of help them balance their hormones, a lot of our messaging is to slow down. But I think people are so nervous that like they're going to have these drastic changes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my body has certainly changed. It's, it's one of those things though, that I think everybody's body changes in different ways. So for me, like I don't have the muscles I once had. Um, I don't have the strength I once had. It took a while to lose that. Um, but I will say that I think I just try to have a really strong mindset of like, this is where my body is now. If I decide Mm -hmm. I want to start working out really hard again and doing whatever I can, and that's okay. None of these things are ever permanent. Um, but yeah, I've definitely, I've lost a lot of strength and I've lost, you know, a lot of that tone that I once had. And 
sometimes I, I really struggle with that, um, with being honest, just in terms of those types of conversations, because there is so much privilege and emphasis on thinness. And mm-hmm. for me, I'm someone who I'm a naturally petite person. And so even though, no, I'm not as strong as I once was or as fit looking, I'm still small. I can still mm-hmm. fit the same clothes. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, I feel different, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, it's not that big of a deal to me because I still have a lot of privilege living in a small body versus other people whose bodies are different or who may have a more negative association with something like gaining weight and struggle with that more. I would never want to invalidate their experience. And so, I don't know, I just like to acknowledge. It's also personal. And and also we are just, we personally are trying to make it a goal to move away from like any focus on the body being Mm -hmm. what our body looks like, being important at all and just being so mentally strong and okay with wherever it falls Mm -hmm. knowing that our routines and the things we're doing in our day-to-day are for our best interests for our best selves you know and that's what matters Mm -hmm. so it's hard to get there though it's It's such a life work process excuse my french it's all been programmed forever so much programming you Mm -hmm. have to be so mentally strong in where you're at because there's so much societal conditioning. There's so much. I mean, I remember I once had a time in college where I had lost a lot of weight. This was before I'd gotten into fitness, before my internship. I was experiencing a lot of really bad anxiety and I wasn't eating and it was not from a disordered place. It was just like the way my body kind of handled that anxiety. I had no appetite. Like Mm -hmm. I physically couldn't eat and I lost a lot of weight. Even though I didn't even necessarily have a lot of weight to lose, I got very thin And I remember during that time, people giving me so many compliments and I was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I felt glad that I was pretty secure in my body at that point. So I was like, oh man, if I were not, Mm. this would be a very slippery slope. Like I would cringe a little bit when people gave me those compliments because I knew how shitty I felt. Like I didn't physically feel well. I wasn't mentally feeling all that well. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh my gosh, you look so great. And I'm like, girl, I haven't. I physically can't eat. Like, what do you mean I look great? Yeah. Uh, But it's things like that and things Mm -hmm. that if you're not in a space to recognize that isn't okay and then someone says something like that to you, it can be very easy to take that and Mm. run with it. I think that's a really important PSA too is like where your compliments are going too Mm -hmm. and thinking about what that person is currently dealing with and maybe, you know, getting to know them on a deeper level before sort of commenting on their body, whether it's negative or positive. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause you know, I, I've worked with trainers and, and have seen clients work with where it's like, Oh, I was, you know, I'm down five pounds and the trainer's like, woohoo. But it's like, well, I was sick all weekend and couldn't get anything down. But it's like, yep, you're like that much closer to your goal weight. Yeah. And so there's like the fitness side, obviously, yeah. and then there's the nutrition mm-hmm. and the self-care side. So when did you discover your interest in nutrition and healthy mm-hmm. eating? It sounds like it was probably in tandem, but kind of looking to see what uh, led to the birth of uh, Balanced Berry. Yeah, a lot of it was definitely in tandem. So uh, like I'd said, that that kind of summer between my junior and senior year of college was a really big tipping point for me. That was where I started getting a lot more interested in fitness and how I treated my body because I needed more energy. I knew that I was going to be going back to that same job after college. And so I was like, I got like 30 years of this. So I thought at the time, 30, 40 years of this job, I better figure (laughs) out some coping mechanisms. Um, that's not how life ended up working out, but I had a lot of foresight back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, young Les was like really on her stuff (laughs) more so than than 30 year old Les in some ways. But, 
uh, I had gone back to school my senior year, uh, needed cash, <laughs> and cashed in my meal plan. I was living off campus. I still had a meal plan, needed monies because the girl was really broke, um, and cashed in my meal plan. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not eating in the cafeteria. I guess I'm eating at home. And what does this look like? And so... That was when I started getting really into cooking, really into buying my own food, understanding a little bit better where my food came from. At that time, I was that's when I was starting to get into blogs, which it was so long ago that blogs were still kind of becoming a thing, but I was trying to find blogs to find recipes, which this was also before Pinterest. Mm-hmm. So it was like really hard. <laughs> so much easier now that's back so then. True. It was so hard. I was using like, do you guys remember Stumble Upon? Yes. <laughs> I haven't heard that in so long. I haven't thought about it in maybe 10 years, but that's what I was using before it was Pinterest to like find recipes. And that was when I started cooking and started paying more attention to nutrition and actually feel so lucky that the timing of all of that happened because I don't really know what it is like to be an adult and not be mindful of those things or to be an adult and not cook most of my own food. I feel like I just... not to be punny, but I stumbled upon doing these things Mm -hmm. just at Mm -hmm. such a great time where those habits are kind of all I've known in adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess moving forward from that place, Mm -hmm. where did you, how did you like segue into deciding that you wanted to do health, fitness, wellness, a blog, like this was going to be your full time. And was there a point at which you took like a full on leap from everything you were doing or, or did you maintain some side hustles? Yeah. So let's see, when did it start becoming a job for me? So I was working at Boeing. That was where I had had my internship. That was where I was working after graduation. And I hated it. That was probably a time in my life where my mental health was like struggling the most. But I really loved my daily workouts. So my roommate and I, we worked together at the time. We both hated it. We were like workout accountability buddies. And we would get up in the morning and go to the gym like at the butt crack of dawn before work because it was like how we were getting ourselves out of bed. Like, and actually looking back on it, I'm like, mentally, that probably wasn't that healthy for us that we would go obsessively work out because we hated everything else, (laughs) but we got some healthy habits out of it. And so I was thinking like, man, the only part of my day that I like is my workout. Like, what if I tried to do that for work? And that was when I got the idea that maybe I can start working in fitness. That was when I got certified and took it from there. So there was a time for about, maybe about six months that I had done my own business full time. And that was back in 2018. At the time I was working, uh, at Whole Foods corporate mm-hmm. on the marketing team there and we'd all gotten laid off. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was not, not fun. Not everybody got laid off, but like two thirds of us got wow. laid off. Was this when like the whole Amazon transition mm-hmm. was happening? Okay, yeah, yeah. It was a little bit after it was about a year after that acquisition happened, Mm. but that was when some of the changes were kind of starting to roll out. So a bunch of us got laid off and, uh, I was doing the balance berry at that time and training clients on the side and making money from sponsorships. And I was like, let me, let me try my hand at, at doing this full time. Um, and I, I did that for probably about six months, a good chunk of 2018. And, uh, I made it work financially, 
but I hated it. It's hard. I hated it. I hated that something that I liked that was once something that I used to be creative, that I needed to do it to make money. Mm-hmm. I felt like kind of earlier when I was talking about that choosiness with my clients, that was a luxury that I could do when I had a full-time job, but when I needed client money to like eat and survive, I wasn't able to be as picky with clients. And so I was working with more folks who did kind of didn't have those same values that I was trying to implement. And it really made me fall out of love mm, with draining. it. Yeah. It was very draining. Were you taking on a lot of clients? I had at so that point? many. Yes. Yeah. I had a lot of clients. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I felt like my whole life revolved around either me exercising, helping someone else exercise, other people's body image issues, like all of these things that just felt so physically and emotionally draining. Yeah, I can relate to that because I at one point was taking on about 20 clients Mm -hmm. and running myself into the ground. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Like, this is what I love, but I don't want this thing that I love to be the thing that I resent. Exactly. And it's not fair to the clients Mm -hmm. either because you're not showing up as your best self and you're not giving them 100%. Yep. And so I can, yeah, I so, so relate to that. So how did you make it work? How did you like find that happy place? Yeah. I got a job again. I mean, my story is just me hopping in and out of corporate America. Uh, I got I got another job, and I was working uh, as a social media manager at a startup in in Seattle at the time. And I completely that was when I completely shut everything down and walked away from fitness almost entirely. So didn't, didn't maintain your your blog at that time. Didn't either. maintain okay. it. Yeah, that was when I shut down the Balance Berry. That was when I gave all my clients about 30 days notice. It was the beginning of September, 2018. And I said, uh, this is going to be the last month of your workouts. Your everything will expire at the end of September. And this is, this is going to be it. Um, also at that time too, I had a lot of things going on emotionally. I had been going through like a really hard breakup. Like I was just having a hard time kind of physically, emotionally. I just wanted to kind of be done with everything that was kind of in that season of life beforehand. So in the fall of 2018, that was when I really started cleaning house and I had shut down the personal training business. I had stopped doing the blog. I had just like fully focused on stability for myself. So I thought, and, uh, it was like, uh, probably what felt like a quick pivot on the outside. But for me, it was something that I knew was a long time coming. Did that feel good to have a break from having to constantly update a blog and felt work so with good. Yeah. yeah. It felt so, you so good. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I wanted to know, I had a similar situation. I started a blog with a friend of mine and it was just, it, yeah, it takes all the joy out of it when you have mm-hmm. to post all the time and it was so hard to keep up. And, and then you, it starts the, the industry or the, I guess, number of bloggers just starts to be more and more saturated. And then it's just, it's overwhelming. So yeah. how did you, it was comparing yourself to other people, an element of the need to shut down and move and just focus on you at all. And if, if so, cause I'm sure you can relate to comparing yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Oh gosh, totally. I mean, I feel like I really struggled with comparing myself to people all the time and feeling so self-conscious when other people were more successful than me. And I struggled with that a lot. And honestly, when I chose to shut it all down, I just felt relief. Mm-hmm. I totally, mm-hmm. I just felt relieved. Um, I think that Comparison is something we all deal with. It's totally something that I struggle with too. And I usually, when that happens, I try 
to really ask myself, like, where is this coming from? What about what this other person is doing is so triggering for you? And what, where do you feel like your shortcomings are in being really honest with myself about that to try to get to like the root of what that is? Cause usually it doesn't have anything to do with other people and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's purely within ourselves. And I try to get really honest and listen to myself of like, where is this truly coming from? Do you have any tactics that you use when it comes to social media comparisons? Yeah. I mean, I take breaks. I take breaks all the freaking time. Um, Mm -hmm. I really try if I know that I'm not in a good space emotionally and I know that I'm more susceptible to comparison because I feel like we also have moments where we're more susceptible to it. There's times we're feeling good. We go on social media. It ain't no thing. If we're already upset about something else and then we go to social media, we then zero in on all of the things that make us feel horrible. That's such (laughs) a great point. It's like we're almost looking for it. We are. Mm -hmm. We really are. We know exactly where to go to find it. And so I really try to steer clear and that's where I really double in on really journaling about how I'm feeling. I'm like, oh my God, if anyone ever finds my journals, they're going to be like, woo, Chile. Because I get real <laughs> honest. Um, and really just try to like get those feelings out so that I'm not holding them all in. That's when I really lean into like walking, meditation. Um, I like to save things. Like when people do say nice things about what they like about what I do or a piece of content that they really loved, like I saved those things and I like to refer back to them. Those times where I feel really doubtful or I really am kind of struggling with what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, those times where I know I'm just going to go down the rabbit hole, I really try to steer clear of social yeah. media. It's great. Yeah. What was the point of inspiration to start the podcast? Yeah. So it was honestly all around that same time. And, uh, I had shut down the balance berry being just needing a break not knowing if I was going to shut it down indefinitely or if I was going to go back to it or what it was going to be. I was shutting it down to kind of give myself space to be inspired to either reinvigorate it or be inspired to do something else. And I was just going to kind of take whatever came my way. Like I was giving myself space to get another idea for a long time. I was working at it and I was, I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was my job at the time and it was my livelihood and it was what people knew of me. And I was like, okay, well I'll stop doing this when I have a better idea. But what I learned was that I was distracting myself by still working in it so much. I wasn't giving space for a better idea to come. Um, and so when I had kind of paused, I had taken a full on social media break I had gone like on vacation. I had just totally walked away from all of it. Um, That was when the idea for the podcast and for the platform switch had really changed. And so, like I mentioned, during the fall of 2018, I was just having a really hard time. I'd gone back to work, which on one hand made me feel relieved, but on the other hand, kind of made me feel like a failure. It was kind of embarrassing Mm -hmm. to go from like being a full-time entrepreneur and people knowing that to being like, actually I have a job again. I felt a sense of like embarrassment around that, Mm -hmm. that I no longer feel, but at the time I just, my ego was like really in it. And so I was trying to do a lot of self-care and I had gone to like a self-care event that was happening in Seattle and I had just felt really uncomfortable there. Like it was not a very diverse space. It was a lot of women. No one 
was talking about problems that were similar to what I had or life experiences that were similar to what I had. And I was like, we need more of this where more people feel welcome because this is covering like a tiny segment of what Mm -hmm. self-care is for a handful of people. Mm -hmm. And this was all happening during that time. And I literally was one day just sitting doing other work and it was like, I don't know how woo-woo y'all are, but I'm very woo-woo. And I felt like it was literally... You, especially you stay in this space, you will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just literally, it was like a voice popped in my head. It was like, start a podcast, talk about how you're feeling, name it balanced black girl. And I didn't even question it. I immediately like bought the URL, Ah. like started the, like I mean, I started, I'd stopped what I was doing and I started right then and there. I didn't question it. And then I launched the podcast about 10 days later. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Damn girl. That's fast. It was very fast. I didn't sleep, like built a new website Ah. from scratch, ordered that, that shitty microphone we were talking about (laughs) from Amazon because that was what I knew to do and just, just launched it. Don't get the blue yeti if you're starting a podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's an epiphany. Like I have had similar moments like that. I mean, it took us a year to get this together, but with other things, it's like this epiphany, it's clear. And you're just like, so, yeah. so when was, was that 2018? Yeah. yeah. So that was October, 2018. Okay. Yeah. How did it go after launching? I'd, I'd yeah. love to just know the highs and lows of yeah. your experience podcasting. Yeah, it was it was such an amazing experience. And I honestly did not think that that was going to be the case. I actually thought that I was going to face like a lot of backlash. I thought mm. that because it's like, right, my podcast, Balanced Black Girl. I'm talking about being a black woman. I'm talking about like racism and prejudice and wellness. Like that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That was not my original audience who was following me. That was not what they were following me for. They were following me for smoothies and workouts. And so if I switch it up and I'm like, so about racism, like I thought everybody was going to go running for the hills. I Mm. really did. And I was totally prepared to lose my audience and completely start over. That's very brave. And that's not what happened. People rallied around it. And I actually had a lot of people be like, thank you for this. Like finally. And it it just kind of grew and blossomed. And I lost some people, but they were the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And I gained so much more. And when I came out with the podcast, you know, I didn't do any of the things that you're like supposed to do where you build anticipation and do all this stuff. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to launch like Beyonce in the middle of the night. It's just going (laughs) to appear. And I did, like, I literally just launched it and I was like, it's here. I had like several episodes up. I was like, here's the show. Listen to it. Here's the website. Like I spent that 10 days, Mm -hmm. like not sleeping just mm. grinding. Were they all solo episodes that you launched? The first three episodes, yes, were all okay. solo episodes. Yeah. And then after that, I started the interview format. Um, I just wanted to get something out there. And uh, yeah, and it people were so supportive. I had so many people supporting and sharing. And it was actually really missed that time because I'm like, there's not going to be anything probably quite like it in my career. Mm. Um, yeah where it's just like something that was so new and so exciting and people just rallied so hard. Yeah. You have fear, so much fear around it and it's just the best outcome that you could have had. Yeah. Did Mm -hmm. you see other people with a similar message to yours or when you started, did it very much feel like you were pioneering? You know, I think there's definitely other people who are having not similar conversations. I mean, I'm certainly not the only person talking about that by any means, but there wasn't, yeah. At the time, I think that there wasn't, the conversation happening in ways that I felt represented by. 
and in ways that I felt resonated with me. And I actually think that that's a good thing. Like, I think it's amazing that so many people are talking about diversity in wellness and what that looks like. And I think that having a lot of people talk about it is what is going to make it better. Because if you only have one person talk about it one way, that's adding to the problem. And so, you know, there's plenty of other people talking about it, doing amazing things and having amazing conversations. But I, I wanted to do it my way where it's like, yeah, we're talking about these hard things, but it's also super tactical. We're giving people tactical advice. I'm really goofy. I wanted it to be funny. And a lot of the other conversations feel really heavy. Um, So how can I make people think and make people laugh and kind of do it in my way? And I think that's what really helped foster the community and has helped Balanced Black Girl grow the way it had because I was just doing it my way and, and p- other people who felt how I felt who didn't want to feel so weighed down about these conversations. Like, yeah, they're hard conversations, but how can we have fun with them? Yeah. Really rallied around it. Yeah. And we talk about, you know, making wellness accessible mm-hmm. and that's a great way of doing it too, is not only is your podcast as a podcast free to listen to, but it's accessible in the sense that you are making it more lighthearted. Yeah. So it feels more accessible to people because it's not like this daunting, scary space of like, you know, what is, what am I going to have to open up in, in myself, like on day one, yep, you know, exactly. I think that's really smart. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're really passionate about with this podcast is focusing on creating more of an inclusive space mm-hmm. in wellness, uh, whether it's, you know, digitally or through events and retreats, because it does feel pretty exclusive sometimes, yeah. mm-hmm. especially, I mean, not especially, I'm sure it happens in other cities, but in LA, it's mm-hmm. pretty noticeable yeah. that you'll go to events and there's not a lot of diversity mm-hmm. event tickets. And we've hosted events and been guilty of this, not mm-hmm. having enough diversity, having a price point that's not accessible to everybody mm-hmm. and just really wanting to be more open about that and, and talk about it more. And actually, I don't know if you, if I told you this, but Taylor Nolan, who is one yeah. of your good friends yeah. and one of our previous guests mm-hmm. recommended that we have you on mm-hmm. because I was talking to her about that being one of our mission, wanting yeah. to have an event around that. Yeah. And she said that this is what you do. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Her. And she was like, you have to have her. Yeah. So I'm curious for people who, you know, are saying, well, what it, you know, what do you mean like inclusivity in the yeah. wellness space? Like, can you speak a little bit more to what that means and how we can have more conversations around it? Yeah, absolutely. So I can kind of use an example uh, that was also a big part of the inspiration behind me starting the podcast was it was, this was in early 2018. I had gone to like a big wellness event. I'd flown down to LA because at the time I was living in Seattle, but I knew I wanted to live here. So I was like, any chance I can take yeah. to like leave the gloom? Y'all, oh, y'all we, know. We, y'all we, know. We, we, with you. we were like, I gotta go. Yeah. So I came down here to this event and it was like, it was lovely. You know, it was like the who's who of all the fitness wellness blogger people. Like it was a lovely event. There were probably about 300 people there. Like it was really big. And I could probably count on one hand, like the number of women of color there, either speaking or in attendance, including myself. Wow. And it was like uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. I definitely felt uncomfortable there. And on my way back to Seattle, I had gotten an email from one of my followers saying, you know, hey, I noticed that like that event was pretty homogenous. I really appreciate you representing. Like, I follow you because I'm a woman of color. I feel like you're one of the few people I can relate to. Um, Times where I'd taken social media breaks, I was getting messages like that as well from women saying, hey, Les, we know you're taking a break, but, like, when you come back, 
I will really appreciate it because you're the only person I see who looks like me talking about things that I'm interested in. So mm. basically when it comes to inclusion in the wellness space, what we're talking about is if you go to an event and everyone looks the same, if you go to an event and the people on the panel are like the same five people at a very similar event from the month before, there's not different stories. There's not different perspectives. There's not different lived experiences. That is where spaces are really lacking in inclusion. So does wellness all look one way? Does everybody look the same? Does everyone the same age? Does everyone mm-hmm. come from the same income bracket? Is everyone kind of sharing the same story? Because oftentimes with a lot of events like that is what happens. And if you go to these things, if you go to an event and you don't feel maybe challenged in some way, you didn't hear something that maybe challenged a belief or that gave you a new perspective, you were probably at an event that didn't really value that or factor that into the planning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so apparent too. And you're so right. It's like you do go to these events and it kind of feels recycled. And I I don't mean to be rude in saying Mm -hmm. that, but it's like the same sort of stories, conversations, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily leave feeling like you got a new perspective. You know, it's like, it feels good to be around women and and to be around a positive space, which Mm -hmm. it is, but you don't necessarily feel challenged yourself. And, and so For those looking to attend a more inclusive event, because Mm -hmm. I do want to say that inclusivity is not just about race. Mm -hmm. It's about what you said. It's body types, like different, like looking around and seeing different types of bodies, seeing, you know, being able to have a free event like we're having on Wednesday so that anybody can come, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not always possible, but being aware of price point, if you do want to attract, you know, different types of people, Mm -hmm. like being aware that not everybody has like $200 to drop on a boutique fitness gym every month. And, and so it's, it's about all of it. So if you were to give someone advice for how to look for those kinds of events, Mm -hmm. because that could be tough. Mm -hmm. And then also if you want to host that kind of event. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll probably start with the second one because that's like a little bit easier and yeah. think a little bit harder about like how to find those things. But I think as you look for planning events, no one does those things alone, right? Like we always have people who help us. I think that have people who help you who represent all of the people that you want to be included because it's one thing if you are part of one population and then you have like a semi-diverse panel but you're still the one coming up with all the questions, you're getting all the vendors, it can be very easy for your own bias to still be there. Even if you have people on the stage who don't look like you, they're answering the questions from your perspective. The Mm -hmm. vendors are still only a narrow scope of people. So how do you have diversity in every level of what you're doing? Are your vendors who are being represented diverse? Do you have diverse perspectives being factored into the questions that you're asking a panel? Um, Do people who are being featured in your event, do they have maybe be a pass to bring someone with them who could be a part of an outside community that could be included. Like those are some ways that you can really, if you are hosting or trying to create a space, have people involved at every level, not just invited who represent different populations. I think in terms of finding different events, a lot of it comes down to, I think, kind of who you follow and what you engage with. So I think if you are diversifying your feed in terms of race, age, ability, body type, people who come from all of those different backgrounds will post about things they're doing. They'll share about communities that they're a part of. Um, And this is 
also kind of hard in LA because I know LA is spread out and traffic sucks. Sometimes that means leaving your bubble and leaving your neighborhood and leaving to a different part of town that you may not go to where people are um, and and really kind of stepping outside of that to mm-hmm. find find more things. That's really good advice. And and something too that I've been working on is just opening up these conversations mm-hmm. with friends of mine who are in the wellness space mm-hmm. who host events yeah. and just saying, you know, making them aware of it. Yeah. I mean, like I need to be more of aware of it too. You know, this is something that we need to talk about mm-hmm. and look into and be mindful of. And I think having those conversations is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's where, where you can make change yeah. too. So mm-hmm. I, I love that advice. And I think diversifying the feed great great oh, yeah tip. it's yeah. the easiest it's the mm-hmm. easiest thing to do yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I want to know because you mentioned growing up you were shy quiet you've yeah. grown into this very confident woman like I listened to your podcast and it sounds like you I, I, maybe something's edited but it sounds like you go through the whole thing like very well spoken <laughs> you just it just feels like you've gotten to a place where you're just, you know, your purpose and you know what you're doing and you're just so clear on, and I know you're doing a lot of work. Like mm-hmm. we're all constantly doing a lot of work, yeah. but you know, to be able to speak on these topics, yeah. sensitive mm-hmm. topics like this is really difficult and to put it really well and to be aware of who you're speaking to yeah. on both sides of the aisle is like, how do you, what are some, I, I guess, ways that you've been able to transform yourself into such a confident person, at least from the outside. (laughs) And I I did hear that you said you've had a life coach and you've done a lot of work. So can you speak to what that work may have looked like? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. I love talking about the work. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think it's so funny that probably people who grew up with me are probably like, what the fuck? Actually, back in June of last year, I hosted a live podcast and it was like a really fun, like live podcast event. And, uh, my parents were there. My mom is a little more tech savvy. So she listens to every episode of the podcast. She's all over it. My dad like knows what a podcast is and knows that I do it, but like him listening to podcasts every week, like we're not there yet. So he had maybe heard a couple of episodes, but didn't still wasn't fully getting it. So (laughs) he was there, uh, or both my parents were there and they're sitting in the front row and he's just watching me like interview a panel of women in front of this room of like a hundred people who came out because they were a fan of my work. And he is like, who is this person? And like, what did you do with my child? Because you literally didn't talk until you were like 19. (laughs) So what, like what even happened here? Which was really funny. You know, I think a lot of it was just really gradual. I think that we all have gifts and strengths and talents. And I think kind of, as we were saying earlier, me always gravitating towards writing and media and things like that. I think I have a natural inclination or a natural ability to be able to convey a message in a way that feels clear and approachable. I think I've kind of always been able to have that, but through so many opportunities to be able to practice and study and hone that skill is where that's gotten better. So I always joke that there are a couple of things that made me a really strong speaker. One was uh, being president of my sorority for a year in college because nobody likes the president of the sorority Mm. because you're the one enforcing all the rules. So if you have to get up in front of a hundred girls every week and run a meeting and talk to them in front of people who don't like you and get them to semi respect you, at least to listen to you. Like that was some of the best public speaking training I could have ever had. Mm -hmm. The amount of confidence I grew in that year of like, y'all are going to listen to me, um, helped immensely. I also used to work for a nonprofit where I taught nutrition to fourth graders and, Every week I would go into different elementary schools teaching 
nutrition classes to fourth graders. That was like the best public speaking training, like no shade to Toastmasters and coaches and whatever else. But like, if you can get a room of fourth graders to listen to you, you can get anyone to listen (laughs) Uh, to you. So true. Sounds very challenging. It was a very challenging, but it was like some of the best just training that I had. And so I take my kind of natural affinity for words. I combine those experiences and that's where I think a lot of that really comes from. As far as the inner work, I mean, a lot of it has been really confronting my own limiting beliefs about myself. If there are things that scare me or things that I think I couldn't do, I'm like, well, why, why do you think you can't do that? Why not? If you had this experience with something similar and it didn't go well, okay, well, what can you do to get better? Like, these are the conversations I have. And then I seek out resources that help me do that, be it like the life coach that I've worked with, or even when it comes to podcasting, like listening to so many podcasts and really studying those people that I admire and taking what they do and applying it to what I do and just letting all of those things work together to be able to really help me grow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I know too, that you have had quite a bit of loss in this Mm -hmm. last year and both of your grandmas. Is that right? I'm so sorry about that. We also had a very, uh, it's crazy. We have a lot of parallels. A lot of of things you say, I'm like, that, that was me, you know? And and in 2018, we had a really hard year and my Mm -hmm. mom lost her mom and her brother Mm -hmm. and her uh, best friend and her dad recently. And mm. it just is, it's so heavy. And I remember I was just hustling so hard to like, for our, our business to grow. And yeah. I was taking on this passion project. And, and when this de- death happens, it's so heavy. It's just so you can't, none of, you can't really get yourself to, to hustle the same way yeah. because you can't just zero in on that alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you how the loss impacted you your work ethic, how yeah. your your perspective has shifted. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And, you know, I'm so sorry for your losses as well, because I, I know that that's really hard. Um, you know, I think it is, it has been the thing that has finally broken me out of my gold star syndrome. Yeah. I'm like, girl, you had every gold star from kindergarten to now. And what, what has that done for you when, when the shit really hits the fan, mm-hmm. like nothing. And, and what does is people and is relationships. And it made me really look at, well, you don't prioritize relationships. You prioritize the metrics and the gold stars and where are the gold stars now? Um, so I think it's really helped me figure out what is truly important to me. And that is, you know, my relationships and my, my people, those people that I really, um, need the support of and need to give support to. Um, and it sucks because it's such an important lesson. And I feel like we never truly learn it until we lose someone. It just, Mm -hmm. as humans, like we can't get it through our brains until we learn it in a very extreme way, but it has been such a valuable lesson for me and figuring out how to prioritize what's really important. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend checking in with friends or maintaining relationships? Because I think a lot of people do struggle with that Mm -hmm. as you get busier, older, and some people get married and they disappear and they just don't talk to anybody anymore. They're in a job and you never hear from them again. So what are some ways um, that you find helpful to, to maintain relationships? Yeah, I think just sending little reminders that you're here and sometimes it can be really hard of like if you are really going through it or you have a lot going on 
you want to be able to give someone your undivided attention, but like, "Ah, I don't have the undivided attention to give you right now. That can be really hard. And I think oftentimes just as people, we just want to know that like someone's got us, even if we don't necessarily need them in that moment. Like as women, we're not always good at asking for help because we want to help everybody else. We're probably not even going to ask for the help, but Hey, even just knowing this person is here, if I need them is like speaks volumes. And Mm -hmm. so I like to check in with my friends and just be like, Hey, here for you. Or, Hey, I see you're having a rough week. I'm going to like Venmo you a little something to get a smoothie. Like just, just something tiny, tiny, just so that people know you've, you've still got their back. That's all we all want. And so, um, just texting, just just text them. And like, it sounds so bad, but sometimes I have to put on my to-do list text so-and-so. Oh, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do. I do it. It saves relationships to check in with people. And also knowing that it's a two way street. If you are the only person putting in any communication to maintain a relationship and that doesn't feel good, Mm -hmm. it's also okay to like take a break from that and to really focus on the relationships that do feel good. Cause that's a hard lesson I've had to learn as well. Yeah. I think telling people how, how you feel about them, because Mm -hmm. I think so often we just assume people know, Yeah, but it feels so good to be told, you know, that someone's thinking about you. Exactly. So I love that. I would, I would also love to know a lesson that you learned from your grandmothers, Mm. um, and how that has kind of strengthened your mission with your podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. You know, I would say, so much of what I've done with the Balance Berry and with Balance Black Girl uh, has been inspired by my granny, who is, she's passed away this past holiday season because she was just such a like DIYer, like my crafts, my kitchen stuff, like launching a podcast in 10 days, like <laughs> just hacking stuff and like making things just happen was so her of just getting an idea and like making it happen. Like she was the coolest woman who was like single mom, raised seven kids on her own. Like the house that, you know, she lived in for the past like 50 years. She had built from the ground up, just like a boss, just like (laughs) making shit happen. And probably the biggest lesson I've learned from her is how to make shit happen, but how to also still love people in the process Mm. because she did all that, but like would still give you the shirt off her back. And it shows that like, you don't necessarily have to be like heartless or to not care for and love people to be a total boss. Mm -hmm. And say for my other grandmother who passed the holiday season before, uh, she was just like so funny and like out there that she just like would say whatever was on her mind. She was not afraid to like lighten any mood if she was in a good mood and someone else wasn't like she was still gonna just be super funny and crack everyone up and just march to the beat of her own drum. She was like a true Aquarius. Um, and so I think that's, that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from her is like, it's okay to have your own joy, even if people around you do not. Mm. Um, but yeah, gosh, learned so much uh-huh. from both of them. Incredible role mm-hmm. models to have. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. <laughs> really outstanding some women. Good ladies. Yeah. yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, because I know you recently moved to LA yeah. and we do like to get into routines and mm-hmm. rituals a little bit. Yeah. I know, especially moving from Oregon, like life is just so different out here yeah. and what, um, two, if you do now have a flexible schedule, right. Mm-hmm. 
with your podcast, mm-hmm. you also have a career or like a, another job too. Yeah. Yeah. Do okay. I do. I work in content marketing, um, remotely. So I do have some kind of flexibility around, cool. you know, how my day starts and ends and yeah. feel very lucky to have that. It's, and yeah, we're the same. And so can you speak a little bit to what your routine looks like since moving out here? Maybe some things that you're really loving that you maybe are new additions to. Yeah, definitely. You know, I would say probably just the amount of time that I spend outside. Yeah. I mean, y'all know being from the Pacific Northwest, there's like <sighs> a two to three month window where you are just like outside all the time because you can. And yeah. then the other like 10 months you hibernate. Um, I think just being able to go on daily walks or like to the beach, like weekly, things like that are a big part of my routine because like I need that to kind of stay centered and whole that I definitely could not do before. I'm definitely a big morning routine person. So most days I wake up around like six Um, and I usually don't actually start my work day until like eight 30 or nine. And I usually like to spend those first couple of hours just really like doing my own thing. I used to be super rigid with like, I meditate for 10 minutes and then I read and then I journal and then I go to Mm -hmm. work out. And I used to be super rigid. And when I was younger and a little bit more of a wild child, like it, that helped me focus. And now I like to be in a little bit more flow with what I need. Like this morning, um, I, what did I do this morning when I woke up? I did my usual like lemon water meditation. Usually I would then like journal and read. And honestly, this morning I just sat and I just Mm -hmm. gave myself quiet time to just sit and think and reflect. And so I really like to check in with myself and be like, what do I need? Do I need to take in words from someone else and read? Do I need to let things out and journal or do I just need space and just quiet and to just kind of process what I've got going on? Mm-hmm. Um, but having the flexibility to be able to do that. Cause I know, man, there was once upon a time where I had like horrible commute. I'd have to be at my desk at like 6 30 AM and I'd be mm-hmm. at the gym at like 5 AM, like running or something. I'm like, who did? that because yeah. I couldn't now. So well, it's crazy how we put these like rules and restrictions on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, because now it's like, everyone's talking about their morning routines and yeah. I love it. I yeah. even have a newsletter called the morning routine where yeah. I interview people about what they do. And, but it's like, that can become this other thing that yeah. we're trying to check off and yeah. that we feel guilty if we don't do. And for a lot of people who work in the corporate world, like doing a whole hour of a morning routine Mm -hmm. is not possible if they have kids or whatever. So it's good to be able to meet yourself where you're at. Exactly. And I just, we met up with some friends for brunch yesterday and it's like the simplest piece of advice, but I've been really struggling with meditating Mm -hmm. in the morning still, even though I have these like great apps and a cushion now and all this stuff. And my friend Rachel was like, well, what if you try it at like 11 or 12 yeah. or like midday mm-hmm. instead of feeling like you have to do it in the morning? Cause yep. she's like, that's what I felt like I had to do. And now I'm just doing it in the middle of the day when I feel like I need a break from all the screen time or whatever I'm doing. And I was like, I don't know why I haven't tried that. Yeah. I just think in my mind, I felt like it had to be in the morning. And I know you've spoken to meditation mm-hmm. and kind of like helping people find a practice. So yeah. what are some of like your little tips and tricks? For yeah. It? Love that advice from your friend. I think that that's like the best is to do it when you feel like you need it. You know, mm-hmm. for some people, if you already have a strong meditation practice, then yeah, in the morning you could probably hop right up and get on your mat because you're conditioned to do so. But I think for a lot of us, as we're getting into it, 
And I know I felt this way too when I was first starting. I was like, I would meditate when I felt kind of anxious and needed to calm myself down Mm -hmm. because then I could associate meditation with something that feels good versus something that I'm kind of struggling to do. Um, And so also seeing meditation as other things, like just going on a quiet walk without necessarily music playing or something Mm -hmm. is another great form of meditation, like creating meditative moments that don't necessarily have to look like you know, sitting on a cushion, listening to Calm app for 20 minutes. Love doing that if that feels good. But if it doesn't, like finding other pockets of quiet that feel mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point that it's like when you need it. Yeah. Because like for me in the morning, I actually really love reading mm-hmm. and like journaling and then getting to work. Yeah. I don't really feel stressed yeah. in the morning, which I'm I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily need meditation in the morning. I, I probably need it later in the day when things start to pile up. Yeah. So that's a great great piece of advice yeah so last thing we wanted to ask about um to unfortunately we have to wrap up uh was your manifestation process because we know for example something we wanted to make sure to mention was that you met michelle obama (laughs) which is just such a dream and um, and you had mentioned that manifestation played a role in that yeah so can you speak to what your process looks like Totally. Oh my gosh. I don't think that there's anything better that I can or will ever um, manifest. So just like background for folks who don't know, uh, with Balanced Black Girls, something else that I have is a book club where I um, share books that I'm reading by women of color authors with my community that they can follow along with if they're looking for book inspiration. And last year, 2019, when I first started, I was still living in Seattle and I knew that there was a group of women who kind of wanted to get together in person. So I was hosting a few like in person book clubs. And the very first book we did was Becoming because it had just come out. And um, we had this book club meeting. It was like really fun. And then about a week later, I got an email from Michelle Obama's like publishing team saying, Hey, she's coming to the Seattle area for her tour. We saw you did a book club. Would your book club be interested in meeting again with her? No, we wouldn't. We'll yeah. pass. I'm like, eh, I got something better to do yeah. that day. I'm like, I don't care what I have to do that day. She's, yeah. she's we're there. doing that. Um, so that was how that really all came to be. Um, But I think for me, in terms of manifestation, my manifestation process looks like getting really clear on what I want an outcome to be, preparing myself to receive that thing, and then giving space to let it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like a really amazing example. Even me moving to Los Angeles was another example. It was something that I'd wanted to do for so long, but I was just getting in my own way. And, uh, the beginning new year's Eve, 2018 going into 2019, I was like, hang out with a friend. She's a professional organizer. And I was like, come over, help me start throwing stuff out. 2019 is going to be the year I finally moved to LA. I was like, this is the outcome we're going to do. And then I started taking action towards it. And every couple months we'd go through my stuff and we'd get rid of all of my physical belongings so that I would be ready to move when the time came. And about a month before my lease in Seattle was set to end, I was talking to a friend who lived down here. She mentioned she was looking for a new roommate and I was able to get on the lease and and move down here a month later. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I was still holding on to all that physical clutter and like trying to like make weird things happen, like I'd been doing for the past few years, it probably wouldn't have happened in such a seamless way. Yeah. So that's been... I love that you talk about creating space 
in a physical way because yeah. I think a lot of times manifestation is like writing it down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. I think I'm a huge advocate for journaling and any visualization exercises, but it is, it's a physical preparing your life, your yeah. space, like tying up loose ends, yeah, having like conversations. Yeah, like you're looking for, if it were to come knock on your door tomorrow, could you jump on it? Right. Could you move tomorrow? If you want to travel more, well, is your passport up to date and ready yeah. to go? Mm-hmm. Like, right. if you want that new job, do you have the skills so that you could succeed in that job if you had to do it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then, like, do those things. Do you have things. that power suit that you do need you got, to yeah, start on the first day? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, are you actually ready to take that? And then getting ready is the action that's so necessary. Mm-hmm. And then starts to pull it into your life yep. as you act yeah yeah so going back to meeting michelle oh, Obama, yes, yes. i'm sorry oh my God, no that's fine There's yeah we have to like so go there, there for a second yes. um i did hear that you said that you got to ask her what does it mean to be a balanced black girl yeah and cool. that's that must have been like oh such God. a pinch me moment oh, can you describe that moment what was that like and if you can kind of summarize or remember what her response oh was. my gosh yeah so first of all when we met michelle obama obviously we knew we were meeting Michelle Obama. Like we had to go through like thorough background checks and like all of these things before meeting her. But we're all in this room where the book club was going to happen and we knew she was coming, but we assumed that they would give us like, she'll be here in five minutes or like, here she comes. No, we're all just sitting there chatting and she just walks in and we're like, (laughs) (laughs) probably all making like dumb faces because we thought that they would warn us. And she just like walked in and she's like exactly how you would expect. She's so kind and bubbly and is like giving everybody hugs. And she's like, tell me your name. Tell me your life story. Like, let's let's chat it out, basically. Um, And so we spent about an hour and a half just chatting with her, talking about the book, talking about life. It kind of turned into like, hey, Michelle Obama, here's my problem. Give me advice, (laughs) which is fine. And so it was time for the last question. Everyone was like, "Okay, Les, like this is your thing. You ask the last question. So I asked her that because that's what I always ask guests on my podcast. And this whole time, like we were all very formal, like, oh, like, first lady or like Mrs. Obama's. Mm -hmm. And then I had just gotten so comfortable because she was so personable that I turned to her and I'm like, so Michelle. And then I was like, oh, I probably, everyone else is so respectful. And I'm like, she's like, no, it's okay. You can call me Michelle. And then I was so flustered that I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Um, which was so funny. And so when I asked her that, she actually like loved the question and like perked up quite a bit because I mean, you know, when she was first lady, she had her whole let's move campaign for those who Mm -hmm. read the book. Like that's a big part of it towards the end is her talking about how big of a priority it is for her to take care of herself and how much she advocates for that. Um, and so it was just amazing to hear her perspective of it, of someone who has had like the friggin' weight of the world on her shoulders, how she can still, managed to prioritize herself unapologetically was just so inspiring yeah we have we're a part of a book club and I want to suggest that book as our next book it's such a good one yeah I heard a two-part Oprah interview with her Mm -hmm. and and so I felt like I got so I mean that was incredible and now I need to actually read it but I was like damn this is just packed with wisdom you could tell oh yeah I get like um, emotional seeing photos of her and Obama like I will look at Instagram and I like start tearing up I'm like I want them back I know (laughs) don't we all but on that note for resources having Mm -hmm. your book club if you could share three outside of becoming uh, maybe a couple or three books that you would recommend people look into yeah yeah. I mean do we have categories we want like self-help type memoir Mm -hmm. I heard a couple that you suggested on your most recent solo Mm -hmm. and those were all great. So it was like some Mm self-development and then it was like the history of black women and things that 
you know, people should know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's see a couple of good ones. Oh my gosh. I have so many in my head. Um, can you speak to, cause I listened to that same podcast yeah. to the four agreements. Oh, I was really yeah. interested in that oh, one. I love that book. Um, so the four agreements is by the authors, Don Miguel Ruiz. And it's basically like four guiding principles to apply to your life. And the four principles are be impeccable with your word. Always try your best. Don't take anything personally and don't make assumptions. And I won't kind of spoil it for like going into more detail about those, but it totally changed my life. It's like a hundred page book. You can read it like very quickly. Um, but it just is so, it's a good grounding for folks who maybe struggle with feeling like, oh, people don't like me or people don't react well to me. Mm -hmm. It totally teaches you how to like take yourself outside of that and just be neutral in all situations. And the, uh, agreement around don't take anything personally totally changed my life. It changed how I interacted with people. It like everything, because yeah. if you have an unsavory interaction with someone and you don't assume it's about you, you become so much lighter versus if you bump into somebody on the street and they're snarky and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. They don't like me versus that person was probably having a really rough day, yeah. like mm, too bad. And then move on. It totally changes your perspective. And so that was a really amazing one. Um, another one that I really liked and I didn't mention it in that, uh, episode, but I did interview that author is a book called the memo. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Lean In by Sheryl yeah. Sandberg. It's, it's kind of a version of that that's more so guided towards women of color, how women of color can uh, succeed in the workplace, but also what allyship looks like. And I think it's a really great one um, for anyone to read, which is really good. More Than Enough by Elaine Welteroth was so good. I feel like that one was kind of the millennial becoming because um, yeah. it was her version of that, of her life story, which was so inspiring that I love. Um, currently, the book club is reading uh, The Game of Desire by by Shan Boudram, who's oh, also yeah. been on the podcast. And I think I did mention that one in that episode. And it's just such a good book around. It's designed to be for those who are like single and in the dating pool. But I think even if you're not dating, like it still is such a great read in terms of like self-awareness and kind mm -hmm. of understanding how you present to people and kind of putting your best self forward. Mm -hmm. um, so those would be. Those are great. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. And of course, obviously your podcast as an incredible resource. So to wrap up, can you let people know where they can find you and also what you're most excited about in your business right now? Yeah, thank you. So yes, Balance Black Girl, new episodes every other Tuesday on all major podcasting platforms. Um, what am I most excited about right now? That's such a good question. You know, I think being in LA has been such an amazing experience so far. I feel like I've just met so many incredible people and it's really fun to be where wellness is truly happening. Mm -hmm. So I think being in more rooms where like important conversations are happening and being able to add a different perspective has been what's really exciting for me. And I'm excited to continue that for sure. And yeah. I have a couple quick questions. Yeah. How would you summarize the mission, your mission for yeah. your podcast? Yeah. And what does it mean to be a balanced black girl? Oh, good I'm question. I'm going to flip the question okay. on yes, you. Yes, I know. So I would say the mission of my podcast is balanced black girl is really a platform that helps those who listen to it feel their best. Like, a lot of the episodes are very tactical with me sitting down with these women of color experts, whether they are therapists, whether they are fitness folks, relationship experts, money experts saying, 
teach us about your work, teach us how we can apply it to our lives. But the beauty of it is if you're a woman of color listening, you are learning from someone who you can relate to, which unfortunately there just still doesn't happen enough. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not, it's still great tangible advice that you can apply to your life, but you're also learning someone's story. You're learning a perspective that's different than yours. You're learning how to be an ally through these women's stories and expertise. Um, So that's kind of my elevator pitch for for why folks should listen. Um, And what being a balanced black girl means to me is really being in tune with myself, understanding what my needs are and being able to give myself what I need in any given moment, whether I need to give myself fitness, whether I need to give myself rest, whether I need to ask for help or say no, um, understanding what it is I need in that moment to feel whole and giving it to myself. We all need Thanks that. Put. Yeah. Yeah. And our family business is called Your Hormone Balance. Mm-hmm. I heard you talking about how it frustrates you and people bash the word balance. Yes. So we're on board with that word. Right? <laughs> I know. Important. I feel like we so, have yeah. to take it back because yeah. people see balance as this like patriarchal thing telling us we need to do more. And I'm like, no, we need to make balance work for us, which is why yeah. I ask people, what does balance mean to you? Yeah. Because we get to control that definition. Yeah. yeah. And at least we're a we're striving to, we're striving to have some semblance of balance exactly. as long as that's your goal you'll see that you develop healthier habits mm-hmm. it's not going to be perfectly balanced yeah. but it's it should be a goal yeah exactly. and it's, it's exactly what we said it's your definition up to interpretation yeah. yeah so where can people find you yes so uh new episodes of balanced black girl every other tuesday uh the instagram for the show is at balanced black girl podcast and then i am on instagram at balanced less perfect thank you so much thanks for having me this was awesome for wednesday (laughs) thank you for listening to this conversation with less alfred but before you go we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review so we can continue bringing on guests you want to hear from and reach more people we'd also really love if you could take a screenshot of this episode and tag us on your instagram stories at solo 2.0 podcast so we can share it as well Thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. We'll see you next time.